Hello and welcome to another episode of Miked, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina, where we are invested, transformed so that we can be fully the Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host and director of evangelization, Shane Page, and I am joined this week once again by the perspicacious <laughs> Father Lucas Rossi. Like perspire, I sweat a lot. Perspicacious. It means someone who has, um, who can find the the meaning of things. Really good. At, I do at, that. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You can do that. Oh. I mean, you 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 open the scriptures before us every Sunday. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. You know. <laughs> yeah. um, and speaking of this of Sunday, this past Sunday. Uh, you continue the theme of Lent and revival and uh, the woman at the well, that great story that we were talking about last week in last week's podcast. And then you sent out an invitation for the night of confessions. You want to give us everybody an update? How did that go last uh, this past Monday? Tremendous. It was tremendous. You used uh, and then the uh, return experience, the Lenten meditation book that uh, 350 uh, souls are using and along with me. Uh, it actually worked well because Father Burns used the Sunday meditation to lead off into going to confession and uh, suggested going to confession this week. And so uh, providentially, we had already scheduled weeks before an evening of confessions uh, on Monday night. So that was just a few nights ago mm-hmm. and uh, until start at 630 and went until uh, probably 830. We had 12 priests, though, mm-hmm. um, and probably about... 300 or more people came within two hours. Uh, so a lot of people, but a lot of priests. So it moved. It did. Uh, and uh, that gave us time to spend with souls that needed more time to not feeling rushed as well. Uh, but it was a beautiful evening. And, you know, I think spiritually a lot of people came to the well to be made well. Yes. And uh, left saying, come see a man who told me everything, everything I ever I did. Ever yeah, done, yeah, yeah. Which we would not say to anybody about anybody else, but we can say That's it right. about our blessed Lord. That's right. So um, I thought today we would do something a, more of a, an exercise and maybe our listeners and viewers can participate with us. Um, but uh, about three years ago, I came across this great classic work called The Three Ages of the Interior Life from uh, Gary Gu Lagrange. You ever heard of him? I have. Did you ever have to read him in seminary? We did. Okay. Do you remember what you had to read from him? Not really. <laughs> okay. So he was like the, he was called the monster of Thomism. Uh, this is a man who had a capacious mind and he was able to just assimilate all of Thomas Aquinas's thought. It was just brilliant in so many ways. And he wrote with such clarity. So you think, oh, this academic, um, you know, really heavy, but he, he, I love his writing and it's very clear and, and helpful to understand. Anyway, so he writes this two volume series that I read over the course of several months called The Three Ages of the Interior Life. And there is this great chapter in it, and I got selections from it here called The Predominant Fault mm-hmm. that each one of us has in the interior life a predominant fault you ever heard of that before i have you have mm-hmm. what what have you heard of about that well it seems to be the the area of our greatest struggle you know the root of the struggle that we have against all sin there's a predominant fault slash sin you know uh that we have i mean you know in the end we're all struggling with against the same sins yes. but to varying degrees and i mean in the end you can say well the, the predominant the root of all sin is pride, pride, you know, so we know that from the garden. And of course that leads to, you know, envy, you know, that uh, the envy has, a, finds a, um, 
can find a deep place in our hearts, sadly. Which we underestimate envy. I, I know that's not our topic, but envy can just be deadly. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, um, I'll i be um, somewhat candid here right now because um, I was— um, I'd been praying through the return, uh, and I don't know which day it was. It was probably earlier last week, uh, towards the end of last week, I think it was. And I was reading one of the meditations, and I'd been praying about something. And and during Mass, during the week last week, I had this moment where I felt the Lord revealing um, a particular sin in my heart, and mm-hmm. it, had, it had to do with envy, you know, and it was kind of surprising because I didn't see it that way really you know so um it gave me a great opportunity to go to confession which i did on uh, friday um and the lord you know the best part was is he once he revealed it to me then you know within 24 hours it just happened i could i happened to be you know around a brother priest and was like hey you know can you hear my confession so i had a really good confession about that Mm. um but um i think um i think what what i learned from so what's an element of envy, I suppose, would be, you know, so we're always thinking about it from material things, like people having things and possessing things. We like, we don't want them to have blank, you know, or, or you know, or something. But I find, I, I, I sense that it has to do, it can be related to unforgiveness. And uh, so areas of unforge- unforgiveness, resentment in our lives, in relation to those people, what I what seems to be the case is envy can play like I wish they didn't have these things, these, you know, you know, honors or goods, blessings, or, yeah. uh, you know, goods, blessings, uh, positions in life, you know, um, because I mean, in the end, you're saying I just wish that, you know, that the envy is like I'm, I'm sad that they have these things or this uh, ability or this position or this something. Right. <coughs> I mean, fill in the blank. But I think that that, I mean, ultimately, envy can be rooted in that, that because of unforgiveness, you're envious. Like, in the end, it's like, I don't want these, you know, I don't want so-and-so to have this or that, you Mm -hmm. know. But in the end, you realize that God God has control over absolutely everything, everything. So wherever we are in our life right now, in this moment here in this podcast, is all according to God's will. Now, you know, it's a big mystery, but being that God works through everyone and through everything and through every situation, so... Um, you know, um, let's just use, (laughs) let's just be really bold right now. And let's just, let's talk about the Holy Father. Okay. The Pope. So, you know, maybe there are people out there that are not happy with his leadership, you know, um, and there may be decisions that the Holy Father has made that have been, um, painful and maybe, maybe wrong, bad, I don't know. I really don't jump into that circle much anymore because it helps me stay focused and sane. Um, but then we could say, well, I mean, that God, God's will has placed the Holy Father there. Now, people can argue all day long about whether or not that is who God chose. I think it's a dangerous line of thinking. The Pope is there, and God has willed it, so be it. But we can be like, I, you know, be envious. Like, why would we be envious of the Pope? <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can you know, I mean, think about this with me because I'm thinking about it right now. It seems that envy can play. <clears throat> say, I don't want him to have the office of Holy Father. You know, I'm, I'm angry and bitter, and I just don't want him to, you know, or even a bishop, you might say, I wish a bishop wasn't 
the bishop they're there you know so it seems that that can be a source of envy like because you're upset because this person has this position you know which you know and 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 is legitimate you well, know Saint I mean, Benedict if you say if you say it's not legitimate then you're getting into this you know then you're unraveling you yeah. know the conclave and the power of the holy spirit but that um i mean in any leader any person or anyone who you know maybe has prominence let's say does it seems to me that envy plays a part in that because or someone gets promoted in life you know and oh yes you know they get promoted in a job or someone gets promoted in the church or someone get whatever just fill in the blank right so i mean envy's there it seems you can be i mean if it's initially this sadness at a good i mean being a pope is not a bad thing it's an office christ established it's a good thing you know now exercising your office is another matter entirely um but i think that um that we really have to search our hearts in relation to how we look at and view our neighbor you know in, in every in every circumstance you know and for people in the church how's your attitude towards the church church leaders you know the pope the bishops you know the pastors whatever um and are we praying for them or, or do we you know are we hoping that they won't have what they have that's right. I mean, does, does that sound? Does oh, that no, sense? that's, uh, that's what envy is. Because, uh, I mean, Thomas the, Aquinas says yeah. envy is sorrow at another's good. Right. Or, or another way to put it, as I heard someone else phrase it, feeling bitter when others have it better. Yeah. And what the envious person ultimately suffers from is contempt for how God has distributed his goods. You know, and this can apply not only into the parish, but in the work life. Someone else get the promotion. You did not get the promotion. It should have been me. It should have been me. All these things. It should have been the person I like. It should. There's this. There's this almost anger against how life has been structured and how the order of goods have been communicated to others. And yeah, you think it's yeah. got. So, I should. I should have more, or I should have what that person has. And or, that would be, or it should yeah. be me. And it should be, be me. That would be jealousy. Yeah, jealousy yeah. is one of the other person's maybe goods or possessions. Yeah. But the envious person actually has contempt for the very person who has the goods. Right, and that, that's the that's the point. The goods, and I would say now we're shifting from goods to just position. Yes. So even authority, power, prominence. So we we might we, we might not say I want I wish I didn't have that nice car, that nice house. It's also I wish I didn't have that position. I wish I didn't have that authority, that power, that influence, right? Or that post, or whatever if, you know mm-hmm. you want to say. Um, so we just really have to ask God to help us root that out and confess it and get because it um, because it does it's you know these seven sins are deadly for that very reason. That well, envy is especially a spiritual, spiritual vice. Yeah. So and I and I like the way you, you clarified a moment ago just the the way that things have been structured, the way things have happened. You know, I mean that can happen too. You know, but the church has a structure, a hierarchy, you know, which functions and functions by you know, electing popes and, play, and putting in cardinals, and they all have responsibilities and functions. Now, it's, this is not about the moral character. This is not about, you know, well, everyone should be moral and good and upright. Well, of course that's true, you know, but we all sin and fail. And so this isn't, you know, well, whose side are you on? You know, the pope or the, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. well, I'm a Catholic. I pray for the Holy Father, and Jesus is 
told us that, and the, the Catholic life is to pray for the Holy Father, period. It is not, if you happen to like the Holy Father, you know, then pray for him, you know. And if the Holy Father is one of your enemies, well, then Jesus blatantly yeah. tells us what to do with our enemies, is love them, pray for them, especially those who persecute you. Um, and so this is no easy thing, but, um, you know, I think that our responsibility as Catholics in regards to our relationship with people in the church, whether that's the Holy Father, the bishop, the pastors, clergy, um, anyone in parish life, really, you know, that envy can be there, and it reveals itself with, I just, I, it's not that I want, I mean, you're like, I want to be the Pope. No, of course not, but you're just upset that that person is the Pope, you know, or a bishop, or a pastor, or a whatever, mm-hmm. and you're just like, I just don't want that person to have that position, that office, right, you know, so I think that... Um, yeah, that there's something there to say you could be freed from that. To say the Lord, the Lord's going to handle things, you know, and and all of us are going to be gone one day. Period. I mean, that's you know, there will be there are two things are going to happen. I told you, you're going to have another Pope or Jesus is going to come. You know, so I mean, <laughs> we're going to keep getting Holy Fathers or we're going to Jesus is coming and then, then they'll be in. But he has always he's always given us unbroken papal uh, lineage authority. You know, so you know he'll he'll he's he'll handle things in the way that is according to his father's will. That doesn't mean that God's will means that everything's it's only God's will if things are going well, you know, and, and smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, the you know, the scripture is that we should rejoice at when others rejoice, mourn when others mourn. It's mm-hmm. uh, from one of Paul's letters. And some of the saints, a good exercise for envy is that, and it's difficult, and this actually will demonstrate how deep envy may be in your soul Mm -hmm. is that you should spend some time giving thanks for the other blessings that people have gotten. Right. Thank you for giving that person a promotion, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for blessing that person with Mm -hmm. this and Mm -hmm. really spend some time uh, offering thanksgiving for the goods that that other have. And if you find yourself going, Oh, I don't want to do that. Well then bring that to your confessor because that does mean envy is in there. It may be a seed, but it's certainly in there. And it's so fascinating. We're going to get to this. Um, I was thinking about bringing up the Pope, and maybe we should do this in a future podcast, um, because as a new convert, I know that I can find myself a little disturbed by the amount of criticism leveled at this Pope. We don't want to go down that road right now, right? but I do think it's something worth talking about yeah. because it can be a seed of division. No, I definitely think we should, um, and I think that you know, right? There already is a seed of division in the church, and I mean, I think that if you, I mean, the enemy you know, would it, just exploit this. It's just, it's very, it's very simple. There's, you know, those who want to point out the Holy Father's faults, his, you know, his decisions. You know, um, I'm not making judgments on the decisions on this particular podcast to weigh in on them. Oh, there's several, but people weigh in on. These are bad, terrible. They're destroying the church. This is bad leadership. Others continue to quote him and read his his, his writings and um, only speak of him when uh, you know just the Holy Father has already said this and that, and it's all it's all just woven into our Catholic thought. And you, you know you wouldn't you don't people do that, and you don't know. It's like, well, where do they stand with the Holy Father? Well, they're they're not telling you. They're basically saying, you know, the Holy Father has said this, and he's spoken about that, and this goes into our gospel for the day. So, I mean, you just hear them spoken about in, in, in a way that's not vitriolic, you know. So, um, 
so I think that's been going on for a long time, you know. Um, and uh, I know that there was a lot of confusion when he was first elected. Things were said, misquoted, and all that. And then, you know, we priests were like, you know, felt like we were like trying to explain, defend, and, you know, all that. But I, I think the point is, what are we doing as Catholics? I mean, is it, you know, we have to be clear about our faith. And the faith is in the scriptures and in tradition in the catechism. And I think where there's not clarity, the catechism speaks and holds it up. So I think that, that we have a job to know our faith even more if he speaks wrongly or an error, you know, we can clarify, you know, and we should, you know, because that's our responsibility. I mean, and, um, you know, but I think that there's, there, there can be this move in us to, um, to, to, to just kind of gravitate towards those who are continually upset, um, with any member of the hierarchy. And I mean, I can say for myself, you know, that 12 years of priest, it, it's been very difficult to be, um, to be charitable and, uh, and to be positive about just, you know, the, the College of Bishops, you know, in general, that that's, that can be difficult because we've seen scandals and hear about them and Bishop's decisions have, have really affected the lives of priests in our, in our country over the past uh, 20 years since the, the, the Dallas Charter, you know, uh, which they put in place, um, you know, for priests that are accused. And there can be a lot of debate about whether that was the right thing to do or not, you know. So, but, you know, I may mean, think the reality is, is that what, what are we, what I'm trying to boil it down is this, what are we spending our time and our energy on as Catholics, you know, and what blogs and what are we reading and what are we sharing with people? And we are supposed to be immersed in the scriptures, knowing our faith, evangelizing, giving witness, uh, adhering to the virtues of the lives of the saints. And, you know, I can come up right away with uh, Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio, um, who would probably um, hit upside the head literally anybody who spoke about the Pope or oh, the bishop negatively yeah. because they— Several many saints <laughs> would do that. But the but Pope uh, or um, Padre Pio was totally um, sidelined by the church. He was basically uh, silenced and told to stay in his monastery. Don't look out the window. No letters. No more public masses. No confessions. You know, no spiritual direction. No, I mean, took things, took everything from him for not like a week, but years. I think it was twenty or something. And he just stayed in uh, San Giovanni de Rotunda and never once said a bad word, a bad comment about the father or the bishop or the people that were, you know, the inquisitors that were coming and accusing him of all kinds of things. The church levied wrong accusations against him. And in obedience, he yielded. And so I think, you know, that that we really need to, I mean, he's a, very popular saint. And yes, I think that they say, what are, what are we to learn from him? You know, and did Padre Pio speak the truth? Yes, he, he, he preached the faith, you know, and um, I think we should say, well, what happens when leadership is a big struggle? What happens when the leadership seems to clearly be off base here? Mm-hmm. You know, and I say, well, we can, we can take to Facebook and take to the social media and, and, and get our, uh, pitchforks and ash axes and torches and just say down with down with down with you know we can do that you know but what's that bringing about you know i mean we we have a responsibility where we are to be saints in our 
culture in which we live. And if certain people are not doing what they ought to do in their office, well, we still have the same exact responsibility, whether or not, you know, you know, we've, we, you know, you've had a saintly pope or a, a pope who's uh, far from it. Be that as it may, we still have to be responsible for holiness. And we can, you said, it's a very polarized society right now, and everybody's got a flag ready to put in the sand. And I think that that's pull, I think that's distracting us and pulling us away from um, a lot of way what the mission of the of what Christ has in our lives. No doubt, we. What, what let's you know we we need to talk about this it's uh it's important maybe uh in a, a very yeah. close uh podcast but all the great saints really believe that in the end truth would be my greatest defender i don't need to react and to level a defense and fire off um a nasty email however you want to put it to defend myself if someone humiliates me because in the end truth always will be your defense yeah even the little flower whose statue is right here. I mean, her sister said to the to the mother superior, "What are you going to say about her at her funeral? She's not even a good nun. You know, she's lazy and she's she's slow and she's not even a good nun." <laughs> and Therese didn't defend herself, but truth prevailed. Yeah, that's right. You know, so um, but yeah. uh, so. Um, so speaking about predominant truth, faults, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so envy is nece- not necessarily a predominant fault. It could be a symptom of it. So just a couple of sentences from the great Garrigou Lagrange on our predominant fault. He says this, the predominant fault is the defect in us that tends to prevail over the other defects and thereby over our manner of feeling, judging, sympathizing, willing, and acting. It is a defect that has in each of us an intimate relation to our individual temperaments. We'll get to temperament in just a second. So he says this, it is our domestic enemy dwelling in our interior. For if it develops, it may succeed in completely ruining the work of grace or the interior life. Particular care must be taken that the predominant fault does not snuff out our principal natural quality or our special attraction to grace. And those are pretty bold words. If it develops in us, it will completely ruin the work of grace or the interior life. Any comment about that, Father? Well, I mean, that's a bold statement for sure. What? Uh, so when he gets right down to it, what do you think he's saying the predominant fault is? Well, that's what he's going to help us identify it. He says each one of us has to identify the predominant fault. So let me, a few more sentences. He says, evidently, it's of primary importance that we recognize our predominant fault and have no illusions about it. This is so much more, the more necessary as our adversary, the enemy of our soul, knows it quite well and makes use of it to stir up trouble in and about us. In the citadel of our interior life, which is defended by the different virtues, the predominant fault is the weak spot, undefended by theological and moral virtues. The enemy of our souls sees exactly this easily vulnerable point in each one of us, and he finds it without difficulty. Therefore, we must recognize it also. So um, then he goes on to help us diagnose it. What is our predominant fault? He says, of course, the first step is ask God for light. We would never, we would never say otherwise. Ask God for the light to expose this and reveal this predominant fault in me. But then he goes through a couple of questions we could ask ourselves. He says, asking, uh, after asking sincerely uh, for God to illuminate it or to illuminate us, 
we must make a serious examination. Ask yourself this, toward what do my most ordinary preoccupations tend? In the morning when I wake or when I am alone? Where do my thoughts and desires go spontaneously? So you wake up in the morning, where do, you, where do your anxieties, where do your cares, where do they naturally shift? That could be evidence of pointing you in the direction of your predominant fault. Um, he says, we should keep in mind that the predominant fault, which easily commands all of our passions, takes on the appearance of a virtue. And if it's not opposed, it may lead to impenitence. We're not going to uh, repent of it anymore. Another question. Ask yourself, what is generally the cause or source of my sadness and joy? What is the general motive of my actions? the ordinary origin of my sins, especially when it is not a question of an accidental sin, but rather a succession of sins or a state of resistance to grace. Notably, when this resistance persists for several days and leads me to omit my exercises of piety. So what is the general source of your sadness and joy? What makes you sad? That may not make somebody else sad, but makes you sad. Mm-hmm. But what, are you, what also makes you happy that may not make somebody else happy. This is about you. Um, then he says this, the predominant fault may also be recognized by the temptations that our enemy arouses most frequently in us, for he attacks us especially through this weak point in our soul. So what do you struggle with? What are your temptations? What is your source of uh, joy? What is your source of sadness? Where do your thoughts tend to gravitate toward first thing in the morning? What kind of cares or you're normally gravitating to. And we're going to kind of go through some of the uh, dispositions and, and name some of these that are very common, which I think will be helpful. Any comments about that so far? Do you have any uh, any insights? or? No, I think that's a good. Uh, he, he unpacks it pretty well about, okay, well, how do we learn to discover that? And realizing right now that, you know, a lot of our interior battles are, in fact, interior because it's in the mind and our right. thoughts. Yes. You know, and that... Um, that even with reflecting on that confession in my own life last week, you know, that I had to really look at, you know, progression of thoughts and assumptions and presumptions and things that are being made, you know, and that um, that it really became that interior revelation, mm-hmm. you know. So, so, yes, we do have to be more aware of what goes on in our minds um, throughout the day. Especially where they drift. Right. Where do they drift? Uh, he says this, it's also highly proper to, well, I'll, I'll just paraphrase this part. The only way to really defeat the predominant fault is with penance. Some form of penance or mortification. That's the only way to do it. He says, but if you can uh, conquer your predominant fault, then the fault can open up a floodgate of graces. But one of the things that he says that I often heard to the contrary, just in general, not from any specific teacher, is that, well, we're always going to have that one sin. There's nothing we can do about it. You might as well just accept it. It's all. Uh, but he says we no, must never right. make yeah. peace. Right. right here on page uh, 319, we must not make peace with our faults. It must be something that, yes, we might struggle with it, but it needs to always be a struggle. Right. Never get in, give in to uh, the temptations. So mortification, which makes our principal fault disappear, delivers us and assures us the predominance in our soul of our true natural qualities and of our special attraction to grace. So we've got to figure out what it is. Now, he says that it usually corresponds to the, uh, our, our temperaments. Now, the church has had historically, maybe you can speak to this, four temperaments 
And I, did you have to did you have to figure out what your temperament was while you were training to be a priest? No. Okay. No, so I mean, there's been. I mean, people kind of got into the, you know, uh, got into that a bit with the personality test and all that. I've seen that happen. You know, people. Try yeah, to this isn't quite like a personality right, right, test. Because yeah. um, I'm not too. I'm not. But such we've a not. Fan I don't think I remember going through like finding my my temperament. In, in all right. So there are four primary temperaments, uh, and this goes back centuries. The sanguine. The choleric, the melancholic, and the phlegmatic. These are wonderful words. They are, because they all sound negative to me. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be any of those. <laughs> okay, so what we have here are, uh, I will describe the, the temperament. And then there are the most common predominant faults associated with the predicament. Okay, And these are the ones you have to fight against. You've got to fight against your predominant fault. Otherwise, it can overtake, as he says, it can just drown out all the virtues that God's grace is actually trying to bring to life in you. Okay, so the first one is the sanguine temperament. This is a person of inflammable emotions. I love that. This is someone who's affable, energetic, enthusiastic, popular, expressive. A couple of the downsides is noisy or insincere. Now, the predominant fault for the sanguine temperament, so this is an excitable person. I guess people probably know, well, Shane probably knows what, which mine is. <laughs> so the predominant faults can be lust, gluttony, or pusillanimity. Lust, gluttony, or pusillanimity. Now, we've talked about pusillanimity before. And if anyone can spell that and send that in right now, <laughs> yeah, the next five right. seconds, you're going to Yeah, we should do it prize. live. See if I'd even do it. <laughs> pusillanimity <laughs> is uh, people who shrink back from doing great things right. for Smallness God. Smallness of soul. Yeah, they, they shrink back. They have gifts to do something good for God, but they cower. They, I can't do it. I can't do it, even though God has really gifted you with the ability to do these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Or, but the other ones are lust or gluttony. I will say that I'm sanguine, and I'll go on record. I struggle with pusillanimity. I've said that before. You know, I've admitted that openly uh, before. But it's very interesting that even the the affable, energetic, expressive person can struggle with, often struggles with either lust, gluttony, or pusillanimity. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So then there's choleric, C H O L E R I C, choleric, like cholera. I was going to say, should we compare that to the digestive? No, it's not that close. So this is a person of ardent emotions. They're daring. They're direct. They're decisive. They can be insensitive, tactless, but they're often fearless. Mm -hmm. These are bold, direct people. Their predominant faults are usually anger or envy, which we have just talked about. Um, You know, we didn't really talk about how so if you struggle with envy, what's there? Because with every vice, isn't there a corresponding virtue? And I think the corresponding virtue to envy Probably is gratitude. charity. No, charity. Charity. And then the corresponding virtue to anger would be um, patience. You know, someone who's able to kind of control his or her anger. So if you are a choleric disposition, someone bold, direct, decisive, can be insensitive. In other words, you can uh, be more candid than truthful does that make sense you know sometimes the choleric person is more candid than truthful in other words they they uh they say more than needs to be said to someone mm-hmm. <laughs> like someone i heard one, someone once say you should always speak the truth but you don't need to say the whole truth the whole time <laughs> right so uh, you may struggle with anger or envy you got to identify it so then there's the melancholic 
And uh, according to this teaching, it is a person of deep emotions. They're deep. They do have a disposition to sorrow. They can be perfectionistic. They're very accurate, very detailed. They can be very diplomatic and thoughtful. They do have a tendency to be a little cautious, overly cautious, and they can be critical of others. So they'll tell you what's wrong with you to your face, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But they have great dispositions too. Their predominant faults can be fear, being judgmental of others, too judgmental of others, or being too despondent or despairing, like the world's falling apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's someone they've got to fight against that. Um, they can also have contempt for other people. So that person's done something to me. I hate them. I hate that person. You know, so that can be a, a predominant fault of the melancholic. Any any comments so far? I hope I'm not boring everybody. <laughs> no, I think people are trying to figure out which one they are. They're yeah. Probably wondering. All right. So we've talked about sanguine. This is the excitable person. They struggle, can struggle with lust, gluttony, or pusillanimity. Choleric, very ardent, very fearless. Uh, daring, bold, they can struggle with anger and envy. Melancholic, disposition to sorrow, deep emotion. They're perfectionists. They're detailed. They're diplomatic, but they can be critical. They struggle with fear, uh, judgment of others, and despair. And then the finally, phlegmatic. I love that one. Which does not begin with the letter F. <laughs> That's right. P-H-L-E-G-M-A-T-I-C. This is a person who doesn't really have any strong emotions, but they're very even, what we would call kind of even keel. Very kind, caring gentle, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. kind of relaxed. They can be a little timid at times, and uh, but they're peaceful. You know, the people who are just always at peace, they just, that's just naturally who, who they are. Well, their predominant faults can be sloth, or they can uh, quit doing the good they should do because of the difficulties they confront. Mm-hmm. Um so sloth, and of course, we, we mistake what sloth actually is. It's not just laying on the couch all day. It's being constantly distracted, and you're never really doing your spiritual work. Mm, I know I should there. go to Mass today, or, or I should pray my rosary today, but uh-huh. Oh, something else has just gotten in the way. Yeah. Oh, you know, like, YouTube, look at that squirrel. Netflix, YouTube, Netflix, this thing, that thing. Yes. Piddling around the house. Yes. I'm good at that too. Be like, oh, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm going to go do that. Yes. So you, you're just, uh, you're, mm-hmm. sloth is the, uh, it makes you scattered. So you avoid doing your real spiritual work. Or even when you pray, something comes up like, oh, I better take that. Oh, I've just been texted. I better stop what I'm doing and go text, uh, respond to that text. I usually try to turn my phone off as a result of that. But this is someone, this is a predominant fault for, for the phlegmatic person. And this is something that they have to struggle against. And I, and I can't remember what would be the corresponding virtue to the vice of sloth. Diligence. That's what yeah. it is. Diligence, dutifulness. Yes, because sloth responsibility. is responsibility. I think some of the great aesthetics would say sloth is the most difficult to overcome because the only remedy for it is that which you just don't want to do. Right. Like with pride, if you're a prideful person, we've all been put in our place before. Mm-hmm. Right? You can be humbled. Yeah. But uh, a slothful person. You just got to do what you don't want to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to pray. Oh, the yeah. rosary. Yes. Um, go to confession. So did you, did you, you don't have to go to uh, full disclosure on us, but did you hear yourself in any of these, uh, in these temperaments? Well, anyone who knows me probably already has me pinned down as the first one. Sanguine. Yeah. So which is it, Father? Lust, gluttony, or pusillanimity? <laughs> <laughs> I can say that, you know, everybody... 
you know, all the commandments are easily broken. You know, <laughs> it's, oh yes, we, you know, it's like, you know, you, you break them all in different ways. There's many ways, but the, the sin is just interesting because there's only so many ways you can break the Ten Commandments. Sin's you know? boring, as you said. Yeah, I mean, no one, no one has figured out a new way to sin that doesn't somehow go against Christ's beatitudes. That you know flies in the face of humility, and you know, generally, you know, is one of the seven deadly sins, or you know, has uh, hit the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, that's the law, the Lord's law of love. Yeah. You didn't love God with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul, your neighbors, yourself. Yes. Well, you know, and, and Lagrange does say that a great way to really identify your predominant fault uh, is with other people, especially if you have a spiritual director or someone knows you well. Yeah. I mean, we were joking before we recorded, it's like, you know, I know my wife could tell me what my predominant fault is without <laughs> me even having to really figure it out. Um, but it's not necessarily the sin you're always committing that you're struggling with. The sin you're always committing could be the symptom right. of your predominant fault. And that's, and that's where you got to get yeah. to the root. That's, that's where you have to get to the root. That's good to point out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you have to look at the relationship between certain sins and one of them. You know, we looked at, uh, when we were looking at uh, fasting. Yes. At the beginning of Lent, the first week of Lent, you know, that gluttony and lust are related you know, and that if, if you start with gluttony, then lust is also going to be there lurking at the door uh, because they're related to, you know, feeding oneself pleasure. And, you know, if, 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 if I'm eating whatever I want and drinking whatever I want and as much as I want, then the eyes are going to eventually slide into, you know, lust. Yes. You know, and the lust of the eyes of I want more food and one less and I also want, you know, the, 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 um, the sinful pleasures afforded, you know, by by uh, pornography and uh, other sins of the flesh, you know, so they're, they're related. So one, you know, one might understand, well, the gluttony is your bigger issue. That's right. Because, you know, it's always this. We'll say, yeah, but what about, what is your relation with food and drink? Mm-hmm. You know, because usually, you know, they'll be related. Um, and then, uh, yeah, envy and, you know, I think anger, wrath and envy can be, very related, I would say. And wrath is very hard to control. I mean, it yep. takes a lot of years of discipline, which is what meekness is. I, I, I feel like we've talked about that on the podcast. To be meek, meek is actually the virtue of being able to control your your anger mm-hmm. and not let it. Because most of the time we respond disproportionately to something that's happened. So if you're yep. someone driven by wrath, someone just throws a pebble at you, but you launch in response a <laughs> boulder. <laughs> One boulder to crush your whole house. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I challenge all of you to just really think about what might be your predominant fault. Where do your your thoughts first thing in the morning tend to drift? What are your concerns? And uh, really do some, Google this or just hit rewind and think about what your, your temperament might be. And then look at the predominant faults often associated with that temperament. And it might actually be accurate. But the only way to combat it, and we must, according to the little garage, we must combat it. We cannot just let it uh, lie because it will overtake all the graces in our life that God is really trying to uh, just break forth and break out of us. You have to combat it with some form of penance. Yeah, so I think, you know, that we need to recognize that I can't do this without God. Right. So, because what's my predominant fault and how do I find it and what do I do? The answer is God, 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 you know, God's grace. And the people God's he grace. sends into our lives right. who might me. be able to identify so it. So God help me see my predominant fault. Come Holy Spirit, see my predominant fault. What would it be? You know, and I remember this is not my only fault. 
I mean, everyone, every one of us has temperaments that mix in with all the ones mentioned. Like we, we all have that. So, yes. well, I've never liked that. It just means predominant. Yeah, which where means do you which, incline? Like, you know, which kid's always out of the van when you open the door yeah. first, right? You know, it's like, there it is. That's your predominant, you know, that which which passion, which which sin, which struggles usually the first one out of the gate, mm-hmm. you know, um, the morning mm-hmm. hour. And um, Jose Maria Escriva says of the heroic minute, is the morning hour when you get the morning moment when you get out of bed. If you are snoozing and sleeping in, and that's oh, then you know sloth is laziness is probably predominant. It's like I can never do that. I mean, it's hard for everyone to get up and out of bed at some point. You know, I mean, it just is. But yeah. if every day. It's a nightmare for you. Well, it's a heroic minute that when your alarm goes off, you should be out of bed on your feet immediately, like within the minute. Yeah, and to pray. I mean, basically, yes. get up and kneel down and pray. Don't you know? Don't take any more time to sleep in, right? Even if it's ten more minutes. You know, ten more minutes, five more minutes, mom, five more minutes, dad. Hit the snooze. Teenagers are pros at this, and oh, all the well, teenagers yes. listening, they know that. And you know what? So was I. Yeah. But it stays with you. It's still a struggle. You know, I mean, it's I get up at five nearly every day, but. You have to grow into that discipline, which means going to bed at a decent time, too. And, you know, um, some days, I mean, I'm pretty much conditioned now, you know, for several years uh, to do that. But it's still, there are days where it's just hard, you know, like oh, yes. when the time changes and you lose an hour, wherever that went. God will tell us someday how we were able to get away with this in life. Um, Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. so we'll just take an hour out of the day. How can you do that? Apparently, we've been able to do that. But, um <laughs> whatever but yeah i think the predominant fault is not and this also isn't i would say anyone listening this does not define you these are temperaments this doesn't define you this doesn't mean you know someone says oh i'm a glutton i'm I'm lustful i'm sloth this doesn't define you you are a child sure you are a son and daughter of god okay the predominant fault is the brokenness the limping around spiritually left by the fall of Mm -hmm. of the original sin Mm -hmm. and who restores who makes all things new? Jesus Christ, right? And then, you know, just to remind everybody, um, especially those using the return uh, journal, that what was the, f- the first prayer of Ash Wednesday of all Lent was this, Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. So Lent is is right there what you're saying you know we should be using and in many ways the uh the return experience is probably driving a little bit at what you're saying the predominant fault you know wondering Helping looking at our in, it. interior life where are my struggles where's unforgiveness you know so i and maybe who knows maybe i haven't read it as uh, prior to us doing this so maybe he does get into this throughout you know, closer to what's our predominant sin, our predominant fault that we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. So we will, you can face it with with hope. So, I mean, I think that the whole, I don't want, this is like a self-improvement project, like, well, here's my fault. I'm a sanguine, and I get this, so then now what do I do? It's basically, this yeah. is a to develop interior understanding, illumination by the Holy Spirit to say, to understand yourself. Like, this isn't going to go away tomorrow with the flip of a switch. Oh, no. It means when I know myself better, so that I can try and love the Lord and more faithfully and love others more faithfully. That once I understand how the enemy is probably going to try and work on me, mm-hmm. you know, and it may not always be him. I mean, some people, everything goes wrong. It's always the devil's fault. I so, said, no, your fallen intellect and will has a pretty good time of itself. 
choosing the wrong thing. So, but yes, knowing your, you know, the, um, the, um, vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. the weaknesses in the fortress as it were. Yes. Yeah. And then shore those up and they yeah. can't be done except for the opposite. You know, the vices can only be rooted out by their counter virtues, mm-hmm. which can be very difficult but it's all meant to uh, help us grow in grace. And all we have to do is want to be more like Christ, like the saints, and be invested, be transformed, and be his. Uh-huh. We'll end it on that note then. Well, yeah. thank you very much, uh, <laughs> well, Father Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> you sanguine you. <laughs> I do love that. Yes, well, it was a great, uh, great discussion. And uh, let's do revisit to that, that topic you brought up earlier about you know, the leadership and how our response should be, because I do think that absolutely is a part of our life of holiness. And I do think one of the most delicate gifts that the Catholic Church brings us is the gift of unity, but it's delicate. Yeah, it is delicate. So thank you very much, Father. Thank you for watching and listening. If you want to know more information about our parish, please visit our website at stmccg.org. And on behalf of Father Rossi, I am Shane, your host. Until next time, God bless you and happy Lent.